Shabbat Shalom, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. A little early, the early worm gets the bird. I said that the other way around just to see if you're awake. What a blessing. We are in Habakkuk chapter 1 today. The burden of Habakkuk. Let's turn there together. I hope you enjoyed the introduction last week. I enjoy being able to deliver that message. It really impacted, I think, many people. I was on the Sabbath group this morning with uh, Mario and Tamara and uh, so many others. And it was uh, just a fabulous time. Great platform, our Zoom Shabbat group. We also have our Zoom calendar group. And we are going to start a few other groups here in the next few months. A Torah Youth Worldwide and a fellowship finder group, a question and answer group, because so many out there have questions about this great, amazing message and time that we're living in. Look at the burden of Habakkuk this week. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, it is written, The burden which Habakkuk the Navi, the prophet, did see. O Yahuwah, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you because of violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold perversity? For ruin and violence, they are everywhere before me, and there are strife and contention that arise. Is this true or what? Everywhere you turn, violence. The wicked prospering, contention and strife in our congregations and communities with your interactions on social media. I mean, you've got to be careful. You post one thing and all of a sudden they literally want to stone you or twist and manipulate or reinterpret your words, your speech, your sayings, especially in my position where people can just take a, a sound bite and send it to other people and say, um, yes, I said that, but the context of which I was talking, that is why I used that particular verse. Now, there's another verse that I used maybe two weeks ago in the context of that teaching that said something different. So we have to be careful in this day and age of snippets and sound bites because that's the way of the world. But that is not the way of Habakkuk. That is not the way of the Zadakim, the righteous. We have to be distinctly different. And I know some of you out there have said, I'm not even going on Facebook anymore, but just to follow Torah to the Tribe's announcements so I can keep up with the community. Well, I think that's great. Personally, that's what I do. I just go on there to post the announcements to keep everybody informed, as I hope you're all here today tuning in two hours early. Look at the prophet's words. Why do you show me, verse 3, iniquity and cause me to behold perversity? For ruin and violence are before me, and there are strife and contention that arise. Therefore... The Torah, the law is slack. And mishpat, key word there, mishpat, you're going to notice we're going to get the double mishpat. It's going to come up twice in the next verse. And mishpat, judgment does not go forth. 
For the wicked do enclose around the Zadokim, the righteous. Therefore, wrong mishpatim, judgments, go forth. So the key, the key to this initial complaint is the double mishpat, the double judgment. You see it right there in verse 4, don't you? Comes up twice, that word, the Hebrew word is mishpat or mishpatim, judgments, And it is a word that signifies that there is a particular order to Yahuwah's covenant society. It's actually been ordained by Yahuwah. There is an order of things. There is a judgment of things. But that is only for Yahuwah's covenant society. Those within the covenant are to make their judgments different than those outside the covenant. In fact, those inside the covenant will be viewed as aliens and sojourners to those outside of the covenant. And those, do you see how it works? There is a separation. There is a come out of Babylon, my people. Come out of her, my people, and separate from their iniquities and uncleanness. Because both of us make judgments based upon totally different things. The covenant community, based upon the word and judgments, Mishpatim of Yahuwah, the world, or Israel in rebellion... This is what Habakkuk is talking about because Judah was in rebellion. They make their judgments based upon the gods of the nations. Soulishness, thank you. So Habakkuk's complaint in context is that the children of Judah in the reign of Jehoiakim had abandoned the Mishpatim. They had abandoned the right rulings And the judgments intended for their covenant society, contextually. Now this is huge. This is huge. And I need you to get this. Because a renewed covenant, a renewed covenant does not work. It is a colossal failure. Yes, you heard me correctly. A renewed covenant does not work. It is a colossal failure. It is unable to fulfill function. Unable to fulfill function. What are you talking about, Matthew? Because only 12 years prior to this, they had tried to renew their covenant under the sweeping reforms of Josiah when Josiah found the book of the law. And here we are, 12 years later, and a renewed covenant under Josiah and his reforms were an utter failure, a colossal failure. Because returning, listen, returning to Torah outside of Yahuwah's blood-ratified covenant parameters will always be a colossal failure. That is why... The messianic movement is a colossal failure. Okay? Because the law is not of faith. 
It doesn't take faith to strap on seat seats, wear head coverings, do the non-Davidic gypsy dance. It doesn't take faith to do that. These are works of the soulish realm. Okay? But we know that to be lawless and be involved in all of that paganism, that's soulish as well. So what are we to do? The righteous, what are we to do? And this was my struggle. Because when Yahuwah awoke me to the Shabbat, when Yahuwah awoke you to the Shabbat, the feasts, the Moedim, the festivals, how to eat what is clean and proper, how to live a holy, righteous life in a sick and twisted world, you obviously are no, gonna, no longer going to be a part of the t- church doctrine. So what do you do? Naturally, you think, well, I go into the Torah, the Torah movement, the Messianic movement. And you go in there, as I did for over a decade, and you find many of these people, they're not of faith. Because the law by itself is not of faith. What made me different and what made you different? We're born again. We're born again. By the Spirit, and we recognize, yes, we've got to come out of Babylon. But then we go, well, we're not going to turn into a bunch of Jews that, you know, dance around in prayer circles and deny Yahushua ultimately, or just operate in Torah, 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 and try to say, oh, we're a Torah observant when, you know, we're not doing all of the Torah. We're not doing animal sacrifices. We're not building paraffits on our, on our, on our roof. We're, we're, we're not stoning our children. So, you know, we are picking and choosing again. And I'm like, well, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with the picking and choosing back in Christendom. And I have a problem with the picking and choosing that everyone denies they're doing in the Messianic movement. You just literally took your traditions and you transposed them onto Jewish things. Until Yahweh gave us, all of us, the revelation of the Malkitzedic priesthood. And the division, the rightly dividing point of the book of the covenant reality. You cannot renew the covenant. And a big teaching that was put out by many teachers in the Messianic movement was, oh, it's, it's the Brit Hadashah. It means renewed covenant. You know, like the moon isn't really a new moon. This is what they used to say. It's a renewed moon. My new favorite word, twattle. What, it's not, it's not new. I, I used to use it when I was a little boy. I haven't used it for like 40 years. But I'm like, oh yeah, I remember. I used to use that word all the time when I was a little boy. I'm going to use it again and again. Absolute twattle. Renew, no, it's a new. It's brand new. It's a brand new covenant. And the only way it happened was by the blood ratification of Yahushua when he died on the tree. Because you know what? He proposed to Israel. And they said, Hosanna in the highest. And they found a young colt that had never been ridden. And they accepted him after he proposed to them. Didn't they? And they even cut down leafy boughs and threw them on the floor. He proposed to Israel. They accepted him. He came into Jerusalem. Then what did he do? He had a covenant-confirming meal with them, and then that was made new by the ratification of his blood, and then it was confirmed by his resurrection. It's not renewed. That had never happened before. It's brand new. 
So you can try like Josiah and make renewed reforms and it will be a colossal failure unless you come into the Malkitzedic priesthood. And that's brand new. Brand new. Proposal, acceptance, blood ratification, and covenant confirming meal. Because only 12 years prior to this Habakkuk chapter 1, they had tried to renew their covenant when the sweeping reforms of Josiah came into play. Because Josiah found the book of the law. But if you find the book of the law, what also would you find? You would also find the book of the covenant. Not that they're synonymous, heaven forbid, but that one is housed outside in a pocket as a witness against the breaking of the other. Deuteronomy 31 verse 26, it is written, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of Yahweh your Elohim, that it may be there for a witness against thee. It's not called the Ark of the Law, because the Ark of the Covenant contained the Book of the Covenant. And when they broke the Book of the Covenant by the golden calf sin, then the Book of the Law they were put under until the time of reformation when the Messiah would come and that book of the law was then a witness against them for breaking the covenant hence why it was on the outside as a witness against them Colossians speaks about that handwriting that was written as a witness against them it's a dedicated phrase from Deuteronomy chapter 31 so Habakkuk knew that a renewed covenant was a colossal failure. And praise Yahuwah, even though I ran around in the Messianic movement for 10 years, I am so thankful that Yahuwah took me and you all out of that and showed us, you know what? A renewed covenant is still a colossal failure. Even though you may find sweeping reforms. And you go, you know, I'm not going to do Easter anymore. I'm going to make a sweeping reform in my life and keep the Passover. I'm not going to do Christmas anymore. I'm going to make a sweeping reform in my life and do Sukkot. I am not going to eat pork anymore. I'm going to make a sweeping reform in my life and I'm going to keep the food laws of the Bible. And we then go into everything messianic. And it's a sweeping reform. Just like the days of Josiah. But the law is not of faith. And then we get discouraged because we look around and we're like, well, where's the Holy Spirit? Where are the miracles? And then people condemn you because you speak in tongues. Or people condemn you because you heal. And people condemn you because you cast out demons. And they become very uncomfortable because the law is not of faith. And in amongst this whole messianic movement, there are real dynamic Born again, Holy Spirit filled, biblically literate people that say, don't quite fit in, but I can't go back. And I've made sweeping reforms in my life, but there's got to be more. Yes, the realization that you have to have a new covenant. Habakkuk realized that. And praise Yahuwah, Torah to the tribes is teaching that. 
And we now are recipients together, not just me, recipients together of this revelation. And this is what is fantastic because a covenant must be made new. There's got to be like I have taught so many times. But for those of you that are listening for the first time, you have to have a new proposal, number one. A new acceptance, number two. A new shedding of blood, number three. And a new covenant confirming meal. You can make sweeping reforms in your life. But unless it is a book of the covenant reality under the order of Melchizedek, it will not be of faith. And you'll end up just like the people of Habakkuk's day. And it will take a prophet in your midst crying out saying, return to Yahuwah. Through Zadachim, righteousness, Malki Zedek, and you'll find the reforms that you truly need that will be born on high instead of not of faith. Before it can actually take effect and transform death into life, Yahweh's covenant society has to realize Galatians 3.15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man can disannulleth or addeth thereunto. What does that mean? You cannot add, meaning you cannot renew an already broken covenant. It's just that simple. It has to be brand new. You can't renew it. You can't add to it. If it's broken... Then guess what happens? You go to the judges. Think of it. It's a marriage covenant. If a man commits adultery on his wife by building a golden calf, then there is a what? An abandonment, a breaking of the covenant. And when there is a breaking of the covenant within marriage, where do you go? You go to the judges... And then the judges say, well, you can see the children every other weekend. You're going to have to pay this much alimony. And then you are under the judgments of the judges. You're no longer in a marriage covenant. You've now been taken to the judges. That's the book of the law. Until the time of reformation when Messiah will bring you back in marriage covenant. But this time, it's not going to be written on tablets of stone. It's going to be written on your heart that you'll actually be able to perform it. This is what's happened to Israel. So do you understand the similitudes between natural marriage? And Paul spoke about this in Romans 7. Natural marriage and the covenant. Because this is what Yahweh was trying to communicate to his bride. A renewed covenant does not work because it's unable to fulfill function. And as we dig in, we'll find that we actually know no more about the prophet Habakkuk than what's actually in the text. There's no extra biblical writings about Habakkuk. If we're going to find out who this prophet is, we're going to have to delve into the text. Because it appears that the language found in the first four verses is typical of the Tanakh, the Old Testament laments. 
And for this, I imagine that Habakkuk was some kind of worship leader. He was an intercessory prayer warrior. He was actually a cultic official within the temple precincts. Because if you look at these first few verses in Habakkuk chapter 1, you'll find that it's very similar to many of the Old Testament laments. Let's look at a few of the Old Testament laments and you'll find a comparison with the very words of Habakkuk. Psalm 13 verse 1. Oh, the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long will thou forget me, O Yahuwah? Forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? Kind of sounds like Habakkuk, doesn't it? Or Habakkuk sounds like the psalmist. How about Psalm 74 verse 1? Mashiel of Asaph. O Elohim, why hast thou cast off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Verse 10. O Yahuwah, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. These are the Old Testament laments. This is what Habakkuk is drawing from. Psalm 89 verse 6. How long, Yahweh, will thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? And how many of us have been like, Father, how long am I going to have to wait here? I thought you were going to bring this forth when I was in my 20s. Now I'm in my 40s. Now I'm in my 60s. Now I'm in my 70s. How long until you bring it forth? These are the laments of Habakkuk. These are the laments of the Old Testament. The Tanakh, if you will. Psalm 89 verse 6 is a good one. But Habakkuk, as you can see, he's definitely an intercessor, isn't he? He's an intercessory prayer warrior, like many of the prophets before him. Look at Amos chapter 7. Remember the the famous plumb line prophecy? Powerful. Verse 5. Then said I, O Master Yahuwah, cease, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For is he small? Oh, he is so small, isn't he? Where is Israel? Where are my people? They are so small. Yet the churches are full with the happy clappy. But where is Israel? Where is Jacob? He seems so small. Right? But Yahweh was raising up his people. Somebody said today on the Shabbat group, they said that Torah to the tribes is like the hub. And now the 12 tribe spokes are coming into the hub. I pray that that come true in these days speedily through the pilgrimage feasts. And what's happening? Because you're all spreading the message and bringing in, bringing in the sheaves. This is amazing times. Jeremiah 7 verse 16. Again, we see Jeremiah was an intercessor too. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up or cry nor pray for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. So I know for a surety that you and I are called to not hold our peace. 
We are called to not hold our peace for the sake of the lost sheep of the house of Israel scattered amongst the heathen nations. We cannot keep silent. We must not hold our peace. You and I are not to take rest. This isn't the time for a rest. This isn't the time to just take a break. We cannot take our rest. We must not be slack day or night. We're to continue to broadcast. To broadcast Yahweh's name and not be silent. Just like the prophets before us. Isaiah 62 verse 1. It is written. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. Until the righteous thereforth go forth as brightness. And the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. I have set watchmen. Yes you guys are watchmen. Watchmen on thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of Yahuwah, keep not silent. Isaiah 62 verse 7 it is written, And give him no rest till he establishes, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So Habakkuk doesn't pray for himself. He carries a burden. Oh, and it is a burden, but it's a burden for the community. And this is the purpose of the three pilgrimage feasts. This is the purpose of the Shabbat group. This is the purpose of the calendar club is what? The community. To draw the community together. Even though we are scattered and many of us come together through this broadcast or through the internet platforms, Yahuwah's burden is still for his people to come together in unity. Not unity for unity's sake, but unity around Yahuwah and his divine sanction will in our lives. Now, we go from an opening lament in chapter 1 here, the first few verses now, to an announcement of judgments. So we had this opening lament, similar to the psalmists, and now we're going to move into judgment. Now, Habakkuk receives a burden from Yahuwah. Now, for me, ministry, I've got to tell you, it's a burden. It really is. It's a burden, but it's a burden from Yahuwah. I don't do it for man, but to actually unburden what Yahuwah has revealed to me. Because it becomes a burden that you just have to share it with others, and you hope, I pray at least, that it helps you as unburdening it helps me. Because it is a weight. You're like, oh, that's a heavy revelation. But then by sharing it and then getting confirmation and edification and more clarification, then the community comes together and goes, yes, no, this is right. This is right. We're on the right track. So Jeremiah, the prophet, informs us, that this time the priests, they had ignored the Torah. We see this in chapter 2 verse 8. And false prophets, they had spoke these smooth words that the people just wanted to hear. Look at verse 5. See among the heathen nations and regard and wonder marvelous, marvelously. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe. Though it was told you, for see, 
I will raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who shall march through the breadth of the land of Israel to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, the result of this abandonment of Yahuwah's mishpat, his judgments, is utter chaos. What happens when you abandon Yahuwah's judgments, his mishpatim? You find yourself in utter utter chaos. And Habakkuk, he sees violence everywhere. Everywhere. Moral evil as Yahuwah's order is corrupted and it's overturned to wickedness and the whims of men. Last week in New York, the judgments of men. Absolute chaos turned over to the moral wickedness and evil mishpatim, judgments of men. The nations surrounding us, moral wickedness overturned to the mishpatim, the judgments of men. You see, this actually does bring about misery on human relationships. Where the strong end up oppressing the weak with endless litigation for the law being corrupted and the mishpatim of Yahuwah have been abandoned. His judgments have been abandoned by society as a whole. The result, a perverted version of Yahuwah's order. And this is what Habakkuk sees. This is his reality. And friends, this is our reality in the society in which you and I now live. Newsflash, newsflash, wake up if you're not awake. The religious institutions today and the creed they espouse is as it was just back then. A perverted version of Yahuwah's order. It's a perverted version of Yahuwah's order. Honey, what was it that, that, that the, the guy from the church said? When we, he said about the New Testament. Oh, he said, he said we were talking about the Torah and the, the Old Testament. And he's like, it was, it, it was fine. he said, oh, the Old Testament, it was fine. But the New Testament, I'm like, the Old Testament was fine? You mean the parting of the Red Sea? The inauguration of the nation of Israel? The, the kingship of David and Solomon and the temple? The division of the yeah, yeah, It's fine. The prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. Yeah, it was fine. Oh, we got this new thing, though. Check out the new thing. We can do whatever we want in the name of Jesus and come to church on Sunday, and then we can go back to work, and it's good. It's all new. It's all Jesuit-inspired. It's just perfect. But dead. Do you want to come up here and preach? Don't get him started. You'll get a real Old Testament lament with an apocalyptic bent. <laughs> but this is it, you know. Wow. The result is a perverted version of Yahuwah's order. And this is from which now our society suffers. Sin is whitewashed. Immoral behavior is excused or covered 
with blankets of silk. Isn't it? Blankets of silk. As so-called people of faith slight one another with hand and tongue. Of oftentimes which you and I are the recipients of. You go, what is going on? Well, verse 7. They are frightening and dreadful. Their rulings and their dignity shall proceed from themselves. That's it. How can this dreadful course be changed? Asks Habakkuk. Ask I. How can this dreadful course be changed? Habakkuk, like us, must. He must turn to Yahweh in prayer. That's our only hope. Is to turn to Yahuwah in prayer. In constant prayer, in fact. In constant prayer uttered over a long period of time. Look at verse 2. It's constant prayer that's uttered over a long period of time. It's not microwavable prayer. It's not instant. It's long-suffering. Look at verse 2. But Yahuwah has not heard, has he? He has not heard. Because I know, personally, I know, when Yahuwah, when Yahuwah hears, he acts. When Yahuwah hears, he does act. He does. I never, ever have to wonder if Yahuwah has heard my prayers. I'm just saying. I don't ever, ever have to wonder if Yahuwah has heard my prayers. Because when Yahuwah hears my prayers, he acts. And if he's not acting in my life, then he hasn't heard my prayers. It's that simple. And if he hasn't heard my prayers, then I become a trouble unto my Father in heaven. That's what I do. Because I know one thing for sure. If Yahweh has heard my prayers, then I will see him acting in my life. And if he's not acting in my life, then he hasn't heard my prayers, which means I must become a trouble in Yahweh's life. And how do I become a trouble? I become like the prophets. I just keep... Why? How long will you not hear me? How long will you not see my petition before you? And I become a plague and a trouble and a constant petitioner and a complainer. And I complain oftentimes through the Psalms and through the words of the prophets. Because that's how I identify with Yahuwah. Because when he hears, he acts. This we know. This I know from my walk with him. Look what it says in Psalm 22 verse 24. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. If I see no action from Yahuwah in my life, I continue to pray. Verse 2. Look at verse 2. Until... Here's the key phrase, until the hey lamed pay moment. The, I want the hey lamed pay moment. I continue to press forth because I don't see action in my life. 
I continue to press forward until I see the hey lamad pay. It's the time of halaf. The time of halaf. You can see it in verse 2. It means transformative change happens. You can sense it. You can even smell it. It's like the sweet smell of challah bread. A little honey, a little sweetness. It's his presence. It's the show bread. You see, the principle of prayer... You know, there's all this like, oh, how to pray and how to connect to Yahweh. And you can get into all this hitbo day, which is a Hebrew term for meditation. And, you know, oftentimes we do that. And I'm just being honest. And your mind is going here. No, it's not that complicated. You don't need a hyper-spiritualized prayer. It's simply the principle of prayer is this. If he hears, he acts. If he's not acting, he hasn't heard, which means you become a plague, a terror. And you continually, continually petition, verse 2, until he acts. This is the way of the prophets. If Yahweh isn't hearing your prayers, it's because you misjudge. If Yahweh isn't hearing your prayers, it's because you misjudge. Amos 5 describes the prayer life plight of how your misjudgment has condemned you to silence. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of of thy voils. Let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. What happens? What happens when we pray for peace and we only experience war? What happens when we, when we pray for healing beside the sickbed and only are confronted with death? What do we do then? What happens when you've prayed for love to come into your home and you only woke up again to find hatred and anger. What do you do? What happens when you've prayed for one accord and peace and awoken again to a divided house and continued contention? What happens when your faith draws back and you become wary of the world's ways of wickedness? What happens when is Yahweh doing nothing is he doing nothing about setting up his righteous rule on earth and in your home in my home has he not heard these are questions that have plagued the faithful these are questions that have plagued the prophets of old and these are questions that have plagued me they have plagued me. And then I realize I will become a plague in my petitions to Yahuwah because I know this I know. If he hears, he will act. And if he is not acting in my life, he has not yet heard. Therefore, verse 2, I will continue to petition and I will become a plague. I will become a thorn in Yahuwah's side because of my petition. And yes, at sometimes I get chastised by the Holy Spirit for my self-pity in prayer. 
I'm just being honest. But I want to equip you and help you. And if you don't have to walk the path that I've had to walk for as long as I've had to walk, with the vexation that I've had to walk, then praise Yahweh, help one person. Because I don't want you to have to have as hard a time as I've had. You know, but I've learned these things over the years of being in the trials and tribulations because being up here behind this podium puts me in a very perilous, perilous position, which only a few actually get to really understand. Because it looks all good, doesn't it? It looks all glitzy and glamorous, but it actually puts you in a very perilous position where you really have, have to live this stuff out. Otherwise, you literally would run off the cliff. These are the questions that the Bible does address, though. These are the questions which will be answered by our great, great king. But the Bible tells me, and the Bible tells you, that sometimes Yahweh hears not and it's always because our judgments are wrong. That's it. If Yahweh's not hearing your prayers, it's because your judgments, mishpatim, are wrong. Because you're judging like those outside of the covenant. He will not hear you. Oh, you can cry. And you can convince, oh, I, no, no. If Yahuwah heard you, he would be acting in your life. If he's not acting in your life, he did not hear you because you are judging like outside. You are misjudging. It's only when you judge within the parameters of Yahuwah's confined covenant that he will hear your prayers. And when he does hear your prayers, he will act and you will know. Misjudgment brings wormwood. To your prayer life because you failed to tread in Yahweh's courts. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12 and 15 succinctly explains what I'm trying to communicate to you. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to trample my courts? And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Look at Luke chapter 18 verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end. That men ought also to pray and not to faint. Saying there was in a city a judge. It's based upon judgment being right or judgments being wrong that Yahweh hears your prayers. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12 and Isaiah chapter 1 verse 15. Will you tread in Yahweh's courts in right rulings and right judgments and your prayers be heard? Or will you be outside and therefore be judged? Because of your misjudgments. Luke chapter 18 verse 1. I love, like I say, to continually troubleth Yahweh and plague Yahweh with my prayers. I take great comfort in wearying him. Yes, I do. And at times he bears long with me. 
But I know he's looking at my continue hounding faith. Continual hounding faith. And then, when? Then he comes speedily unto me. And it's a prodigious relationship of understanding to have attained through affliction. The affliction from standing on this side of the pulpit. Look at verse two. Verse two. Oh, Yahweh, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you because of violence. And you will not save. So no matter how hard it is at times. Even in those quiet times when you feel that you're not being heard in your prayer life. Just know this. Just know this. John chapter 5 verse 17. Yahusha answered them. My father worketh. Even until now. And I work. Yes. Yes. The father and son are tirelessly. Tirelessly. Working together for peace. Goodness. And hope. In your and mine's life. Just know that. Even if you feel that your prayers are misheard. Or not heard I should say. It's because of your misjudgments. Make the right judgments come into the covenant judgments of Yahuwah. Continue to hound him in prayer. And when he hears, he will act. Because it tells you in John 5.17 that he and his son are acting always and working always on your behalf. They're just waiting for you to move into right rulings, Mishpatim. The key to Habakkuk's Prophecy is Mishpatim. That's why it's the dedicated double phrase. Mishpatim and Mishpat. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith Yahweh. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you hope in your latter end. And ye shall call upon me. And ye shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me. And find me, and when ye shall search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, saith Yahuwah. Powerful stuff. Let's skip down now to Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 8. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are fiercer than the evening wolves. So you have to guard yourself in your thought life from the evening wolves. So many people are troubled and vexed by the evening wolves. Guard yourselves from the evening wolves and their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from afar. They shall fly as the eagle that runs to eat. They shall come all for violence. Their faces are like the east wind and they shall gather the captains as the sand. This is what happens when society rejects Yahuwah's order, justice, his mishpat. His judgments. He'll impose the Babylonian order upon it. And this is what happened in Habakkuk's day. As in the days of Habakkuk, so in our days with mystery Babylon and the new world order. It's being imposed upon us. It's being imposed upon our very society because we as a society, we have rejected Yahuwah's order. And therefore... 
This is what's happening. It's either Yahuwah's order or the new world order. You choose. That's it. That's it. Look at verse 10. And they shall scoff at their kings. And the rulers shall be a scorn to them. And they shall deride every stronghold. And they shall seize territory and take it. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass on as a wind. And his army shall be found guilty before his mighty one. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahuwah, my Elohim, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Yahuwah. You have ordained them for mishpat, judgment, O mighty Elohim. You have established them for correction. You see, Yahuwah will, yes he will, Yahuwah will bring about his peaceable kingdom of heaven here on earth in a means and manner that few people understand. And instead of peace and safety, it comes through war, violence, evil, and death. And few people understand that. They want this happy, clappy Jesus Yet they're not realizing his kingdom is coming through war, violence, and death. And you're looking for this peaceable kingdom. That is not what the Bible teaches us. So get ready. Because I'm looking for his kingdom and I know how it's coming. Because the Bible tells me so. That his kingdom is going to come through war, violence, evil and death. So as war, violence, evil and death increases around me, do I become discouraged? No. I know his kingdom is even closer. And that is the key to you being able to withstand in your faith through tribulation. Because there is one thing that is guaranteed of you and I. Tribulation. Tribulation. Oh, it's so scary. No, get used to it because it's coming. And that is the sign of his kingdom. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It is written. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and men of violence take it by force. That's how it's coming. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul understood this, and he quoted this text to the very Romans. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. For therein is revealed a righteousness of Yahuwah from faith unto faith, as it is written. But the righteous shall live by faith, for the wrath of Yahuwah is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hinder the truth in unrighteousness. You know, you know the old, oh, it vexes me. You know the old argument of the atheists? I mean, I know you know this. We all know this. We've all heard this before. This is the old argument of the atheists. Oh, how? How can a loving God stand by and tolerate such hate and human suffering? I just can't believe in such a God as that. Oh, my goodness. The highbrow intellectual atheist answer to why there is no God. Right? Have you heard that before? Am I the only one? Of course not. Meaning the atheist believes human suffering 
is evidence of God's absence and non-existence. But to the faithful, it's just the opposite. To the zadik, the righteous, who's biblically literate, it's just the opposite. Habakkuk informs us that it's precisely because there's violence. It's precisely because there's evil. It's precisely because there's turmoil and death in the world that we have witness to Yahuwah working in judgment as he pursues his purposes. I understand this. I comprehend this so clearly in the days that we are living. Yahuwah is always at work, my friends. Yahuwah is always at work, no matter what. Always pressing on towards his goal. Even if there's suffering, violence, and force along the way. Yahuwah is still working towards his end goal. These, in fact, evidence his existence, his sovereignty, and his will and reality. They're proofs to me that he is working. It's totally opposite than the atheist and their thought structure. Because their mishpatim are from outside of covenant. Our mishpatim are from inside of covenant. Do you see that? They're of a different seed. Just because, oh, you, oh, man, don't agree with the means by which Yahuwah chooses to pursue the goal, does not equate to his non-existence or lack of action in the lives of men. It's actually just the very opposite. Isaiah 29 verse 16 succinctly communicates this. Ye turn things upside down, O atheist. You're turning it all upside down. You've got your judgments, your mishpatim, all topsy-turvy. Shall the potter be esteemed as clay? That the thing made should say to him that made it, he made me not. Or the thing formed say to him that formed it, well, he hath no understanding. Heaven forbid. The folly of atheistic thought to the devout is absolutely staggering. Verse 12 is really a confession of faith concerning the nature of Yahweh, isn't it? It's a confession of faith concerning the very nature of Yahweh that he will pursue his righteousness and his kingdom through violence, terror, and mayhem. And that actually evidences to the fact that he's working. Converse to the atheist and their mishpatim, their judgments, where they want to prove the creator to prove himself to them. Like the clay should say such a thing to the potter, says Isaiah, says I, says you. The sad thing is that the unbelief of the atheist is so far removed from comprehending the nature of Yahuwah that they can actually not find their way to Yahuwah. Look at verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. 
Why do you look upon them that act treacherously and hold your tongue when the, div- the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he? Verse 14. And, and you make men as the fishes of the sea and as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they have simcha, joy, and gilah, rejoicing. You see, Yahweh replaces chaotic society with one that is totally godless. Yahweh replaces chaotic society with one that is totally, totally godless. He marches in a zigzag formation to reach his end goal. To reach his end goal. At times, seeming to go backward instead of forward, right? Like, oh, I thought we were progressing to, and now we're back? Right? I mean, that's politics, isn't it? You're like, oh. You see, the 20th century, to put this in context of our day and life that we live in, the 20th century was chaotic, was it not? The 20th century was chaotic with more war and dead and death imaginable. Imaginable. Yet atheistic societies were mainly concentrated in the communist and tribal regions. Atheistic societies were mainly concentrated in communistic and tribal societies within the 20th century. But now, now, as we now step into the 21st century, we've actually imported communistic, atheistic thoughts and worldviews into our own Western society. So we have, in fact, exchanged a chaotic society for a totally godless society. And that's now where we're living. In the 20th century, we lived in a chaotic society. But now, we have exchanged that for a totally godless society. Because we've imported communistic, atheistic thought into our Western worldview, which at least had a form of godliness, yet denied its power. But it at least had some Christian foundations and fortitude of faith. But now, our society is communistic and atheistic in its thought and worldview. We've exchanged chaos for godlessness. Which is exactly what Habakkuk is warning and exactly what they had done in his day and age too. So let me just restate my presupposition right there. Yahweh replaces chaotic society with one that is totally godless. He marches in a zigzag formation toward his end goal and at times seeming to go backward instead of forward. We have been born into the midst of this divine detour. And if you can comprehend that, 
It's going to help you in your navigation through the tribulation. We have been born in the midst of a divine detour as Yahweh is imposing the new world order upon a world that has rejected his order. So that's what he's doing. We have gone from a chaotic society now in the 21st century toward a totally and utterly a godless society. Verse 16. Therefore they offer sacrifices to their net. And burn incense to their dragnet. I mean even this. Even, even the world will take the football star. Who they say oh well he's a Christian. Brady I think his name is. He's some kind of football player. And the reality of it is. That he married his wife is a South American. And they do all of these pagan rights before he goes to play football and they're saying that this is a good thing they do all these weird mystical beads and stones and make an altar and do all these chants before he goes out and and he's like oh i just you know acquiesce to it and realize that it works it's a cult pagan magic and people are like oh he's such a great christian oh it's so great to have a christian that's speaking to the world you're like oh my goodness wake up your judgments are just like the world's. Can you not see? Can you not hear? Do you not understand? That's where our faith community has gone. The Christian church has gone. They can't even say that that's wrong anymore. Using all kinds of charms and pagan South American cultic Jesuit symbols in prayer and worship. Catholic. Catholico, what's going on with it? They offer sacrifice to their net, to their goals, and burn incense in their dragnet. Because by them, their portion is fat and their food made plenty. Why do they empty their net continually and do not spare to slay the nations without mercy? You see, there's evil now. Oh, for sure. For sure there's evil now. But the tribulation will be even worse. How long, O oh Yahuwah, how long until you fulfill the purposes of your kingdom here on earth? Says Habakkuk. Says I. Says you. What better book for me and for you to prepare for the unveiling of the revelation. The book of revelation in these next months. There's no better book than this book, the book of Habakkuk. This first chapter, it's a powerful chapter, especially in light of the world in which we live in. But know this. Be long in your prayers, verse 2. Continually hound and petition Yahweh with prayer and supplication. And if Yahweh is not acting in your life, it is because he has not heard your prayers. And therefore, that is because of your misjudgments, Amos 5 tells us. You are mishpatim. Your mishpatim are outside. You misjudge. Therefore, Yahweh hears not your prayers. But if Yahweh hears your prayers, then you will know because he will act in your life. And until he does, continue Verse 2, to plague Yahweh with your prayers and laments. Use the Old Testament 
laments to petition Yahuwah, just as Habakkuk did, just as I do, just as we do together. Because those Old Testament laments, the laments of the Tanakh, are, how long, O Yahuwah, will you look idly upon the wicked and not intercede on thy righteousness? This has been a book of encouragement for me in these days, as so many things are changing. But I see as wickedness abounds, that is actually a witness to Yahuwah working toward his end goal. It is not the converse as the heathen, because they judge wrongly. I pray Yahuwah bless you and keep you this fine Shabbat and that we gather together next Shabbat as we delve into Habakkuk chapter 2. Shalom.